What is it all about? What's all the fuss about every Sunday morning, maybe for you when you get up in the morning? Have a hard time waking up in the morning. What's all the fuss about? What's all this about? What's all the lights and the music and the, and the, and the things that we have going on around here? What's all the classrooms about? To give you a break from your children? Uh, you take them to the park, take them to the zoo, feed them to the animals, something like that. I don't know. There's a lot of other ways you can find, a, I guess, a break out there. But what is this all about? I think the question it seems so basic, but it's one that we need to ask ourselves every now and then. What's this church thing? What's this God thing? What's this whole going to that place over there and, and, and singing and, and bowing our heads and not knowing when to bow, set, stand, or pray, or kneel, or, or kiss, or whatever? We, don't, we just kind of, what's it all about? Fourteen people gathered in the living room nine years ago this summer. And we began to ask that question. Fourteen people gathered in that living room, and not all of them stuck, and not all of them from, even from this area, but, but fourteen people gathered in the living room, and we began to, to pray about something, about what, what it's all about, about what church is all about, and about, about God, and, and about how we can connect with God, and about maybe God would have us to start a church and be a part of something it wasn't some great big plan. We didn't have some great big endowment from God, some great big agency out there, drop a bunch of money in our lap or anything like that. But it was 14 hungry people that were ready to try something that maybe had never been tried before in their life. And we began to pray about starting a church called Grace Point Church. And have we arrived? No. Nine years later, we've not arrived. We're still very much a process. We're still very much about a dynamic, fluid process that we are constantly becoming, and we have not arrived yet. Neither do I think we will arrive anytime this side of heaven. T.S. Eliot said it like this, and I think when he said in his statement, The Rock, he said, The church must be forever building and always decaying and always being restored. What, what statement that is? If you just kind of start breaking that apart, what's this whole idea of a church ever decaying? It's the idea that, that a church hasn't arrived and that there, 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 there are dead branches, and even Jesus uses that analogy of the dead branches. There are dead branches every now and then they get pruned off. And you know, there's one thing you got to understand about Grace Point Church is that you, you might see something today, and it may work today, and it may not work tomorrow, and we're going to get rid of it. And we're going to prune it. There's going to be elements that are going to be here today and not here tomorrow. There's going to be a constant decaying that goes on. And I don't know what that is. Now, there's going to be some solid things that we're not going to back away from, and we're going to talk about that today. But the whole idea of a church reaching some platitude, some kind of point out there in time that it has arrived that, that, that believe, and again, as long as you're talking about believers and followers of Christ, we haven't arrived, so therefore we make up the church, so therefore the church hasn't arrived. So we are forever decaying. But he also says, he goes on and he talks about we're forever building. It depicts life. It depicts something dynamic. It depicts something that is forever developing and morphing into something. One of the things that I have to constantly say about myself and remind myself that Mike is morphing. 
that I am changing. I haven't arrived. And, and so therefore, as, as, as dead branches fall off, Mike, hopefully there will be new life and forever I will be building and growing. And that Grace Point will be forever building a creative element about us, an innovative element about us, a, a dynamic element about us as a church. He also says that a church is, is always being restored. The church being restored, the idea that we as followers of Christ actually need times of restoration. That we live in a broken world and we are broken people and, and that we need to be put back together again. Again, it goes back to the idea that we haven't arrived. If we ever reach that mentality, because I know all the books of the Bible, because I've read the Bible all the way through, because I've attended all the classroom classes, because I've taught and all, that, that we think that we have arrived. No, we are broken people living in a broken world. And the sooner we can embrace our brokenness, the sooner Christ can make us whole. We are ever decaying and we are always being restored. I think the problem with many churches today, and not to speak of any in particular, because I have actually pastored some of these churches, I have been one of the culprits to this problem, is that I felt like as if the goal was to get to some point and to arrive, to become sustainable, to reach this, this point, and then just don't rock the boat. Keep it as close to steady as you can. And all of a sudden what happens in our, in our Western world is what we have is a dinosaur called a church that is, that is decaying and is not being renewed and not being restored in and out. 17%, just to throw some statistics at, at you for those right brain people out there, I guess. 17% of Americans attend church on a weekly basis. Now this was a, the most accurate study that's been done out there because what they did, instead of asking people, do you attend church, and getting the halo effect of, yes, I attend church, and which is what most studies say, about 47, 37 to 47% of Americans say they attend church. And they, what they're saying is they're Easter bunnies and Christmas poinsettias. They hop into church and they, hop and they, and they show back up around Christmas time and they say, I attend church. But whenever they got and they asked the churches and they asked them for their attendance, they found that only 17% of Americans actually are a part of a church. A telephone survey found that the number of adults reporting that they, they do not attend church is doubling. It's doubling regularly since 1992, 1991. North America is the only continent in the world where the church is not growing. What is going on? What happened nine years ago is not something that is miraculous, but I think it was something that God began to work in. Began to work in our hearts, and it was, it was not about a building. It was not about building a, a humongous campus or anything like that. It was about building a people who were hungry and who wanted to do something. Mess, yes, maybe we didn't use the word radical, but it was, it was, it was a group of people who, who were... Not satisfied with the status quo, but they, they wanted something different. They wanted something bigger than them. And, and we knew that we couldn't stay here and go there. And that's one of the things about going with God is you can't stay here and go with God. God is constantly moving. And so we wanted to be about something that was moving and not stagnant and stale. We realized something, and I, and I made this statement nine years ago, and I make this statement again today. And that is this, the Lord is in the church planting business.
And I, 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 I back that up with lots of scripture, but I back it up with this pure reality that what was the number one thing, the very first thing that the Holy Spirit did when he came to this earth? But he started a church. When you think about what he did on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people became followers of Christ, that became the first church in Jerusalem. The very first work of God was to start a church. And if we want to reach this world, if we want to make an impact in this world, if we want to, the greatest way to bless the community is to start a church. We've talked about that. Peter Wagner has said, and it's been quoted by many people, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting churches. You think, Mike, why is all of this that we talk about so much an important part in your heart? It's because I realize more and more that I live and you live in an ever-decreasing Christian nation. That really, if you look at it from a global standpoint, America lumps right in there with the largest unchurched nation in the world, third to China and India, according to the North American Mission Board. It is a heavily populated but heavily unchurched world. And yet at the same time, I come back to the reality that what God intended to do on planet Earth whenever he left, when Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, I'll come back again at the end of time. He said, I'm going to leave you something. I'm going to leave you a church. I'm going to do something in this world and I'm going to do it through my church. My glory will be revealed, Ephesians says, through my church. If we want to know God and if we want to experience God and if we want to share God, we need to understand God, the beauty of His church. And I'm not talking about a steeple with people. I'm talking about the people. The people. And what God wants to do in your life and in my life. And as, yes, we gather underneath this, this roof from time to time, it's really what God does in us and through us in our community I want you to take you to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to read a very familiar passage. I say it's familiar if you've been with us for the past nine years because every year I come to this passage again. The very first time we met, the last week of June in 2001, the very first message that I shared was the message right here that I share with you today. I I, I don't share it with you because... Because I don't have anything else to do with my time and I, and I didn't prepare anything. I didn't have any time this week to prepare anything. So I would have pulled something out of the file. Not that at all. I share it with you because I need to revisit this. I need to go back and I need to recount. Okay, what are we about? What have we been about from the beginning? Where are we going? And if you're first time with us or you haven't been here in the, the past year, you need to hear this to hear from where we have been from the very beginning of time of our church. And to kind of go back and revisit that. And to kind of stake ourselves and just reaffirm those, those key fundamentals of, of who we are as a church. And I want to take, talk about this based on Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and following. It says, Now Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and, and others Jeremiah, and others the prophets. He said, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, 
You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The last words, he said, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray together, would you? Would you just open up your heart to God as we have already done in this time of worship? And would you allow God to begin to show you your part in His church? Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray to you today, not because of what we have done, but because of what you did. And we come to you, our Heavenly Father, and we don't fully understand, as I don't think Peter did, on that day, what you meant when you said the church. And Father, there are so many expressions of your church throughout this community, throughout this world. But I don't think we can say that there's only one way to do church. But Father, I would pray that in this hour, in this time, you would show us, those within the sound of my voice, the part, the role, place you want each of us to play in your church. Your glory will be revealed through your church. We want to be the amplifier of your glory. So speak to us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three elements that I want us to understand about the church today based on this passage of Scripture. But you've got to understand a little bit what's going on. Jesus is in his exit strategy. He's six months away from going to the cross, and he is preparing his disciples for his departure. He knows where he's going. He's been telling his disciples where he's going. They're not getting it. So what he does is he begins to put his exit strategy into play here. And he introduces them to a concept called the church. He uses the word for the first time in the New Testament, and we see it. He introduces this strategy called the church, and he says, listen, I'm going to do something, I'm going to build something, and we're going to call it a church. And I'm going to use you, and I'm going to, you're going to be a part of it, and you're going to be an element to it, and I want us to get some things very solid down here. And so whenever we were still in Zambia, and we were still living there, and we were coming back, and we didn't know who or what or where or when or how or any of those kinds of things, that all those unknowns out there, God was giving me this message. And at that time, it was like God was saying, listen, you may not know the who, what, when, where, and how, and and where it's going to be, and how it's going to end up, and where it's going to go, and all that kind of stuff. You may not know this, but please know this. This is what a church is supposed to be. And if you get this right, all the other dynamic fluid elements out there that are going to be changing and constantly morphing out there, those don't worry about those. If you'll get this right, you don't have to worry about the other. So here's the things that we've got to get right. 
And these are the things that I say come back every year, and I say them again and again and again and again and again. For nine years, it's the tenth time to preach this message, that we come back again and we say, okay, we've got to get this right. Otherwise, I really don't see it as a church. The very first element is this, that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which Grace Point Church is built. Foundations are absolutely pivotal. Since, since, since God created gravity, we have known the value of foundations. Foundations are what we build our houses on. It's what we stake our claims on. Foundations are, are permanent. They're forever. They last through hurricanes. They'll last through tornadoes. Everything else can be torn to shreds, but a foundation will stand. Now, what's our foundation? Our foundation is Jesus Christ. Absolutely Whatever he says, he's preeminent, Colossians chapter 1. He's first place. Whatever his plan is, whatever his aim is, in my life, in your life, in this church's life, it must be first. So if he says it, we do it. It's not up for a vote. It's not up for debate. It's up for let's do it. We just got to figure out how to do it. It is our foundation. Now, what happens here in this passage of Scripture as Jesus is on this rocky area by the river in Caesarea Philippi, he's sitting here talking to his disciples. He says, hey, guys, what does everybody think about me out there? Now, Jesus was, didn't have some kind of complex. Wasn't looking for some kind of a popular opinion poll out there or what are people thinking about me. But he says, hey, guys, what are people saying about me out there? Now, I'm sure Jesus knew what was being said, but he wanted them to articulate it. Well, they start talking about it. And there was all manner of opinion on who Jesus was. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. Well, let's look there in, in verse 13. He says, uh, it says uh, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. You're just one of the prophets. We don't know who you are. Well, who does the world say that Jesus is today? Listen, I want to say to you today that you work with people. You live with people. You walk around people. You have people in your family. And you may have people in your own home that have all manner of view of who Jesus is and what Jesus is. If you, if you were to meet a Hindu today and you were to ask them who Jesus was, they would point you back into time, into history, that when, maybe when Jesus was a teenager, he learned yogic meditations. Then he returned later on as a guru to the Jews in the first century. He was kind of a first century Gandhi of sorts. That's what a Hindu would believe about Jesus. That he has just many, one of the 300,000 gods that, that are out there. He's not the only one true living Son of God. If you were to talk to a Buddhist today, they would say Jesus and Buddha are brothers. And that the ultimate aim in life is to, to achieve Buddhahood. And that maybe one of these days you will achieve Buddhahood. And universal love is the way that we get to Buddhahood. Zen Buddhism is one of the fastest growing religions in America today. Look it up. Study it. Be aware of it because it is creeping in. Now, we think of Buddhism, we think of something over in Eastern Europe, or excuse me, in, 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 in the Middle East, and we think of some big fat guy and, and somebody bowing down and burning incense. There is a Zen Buddhism of our day that is much more Western, that is much more accepted. Understand it and be aware of it. Because it's out there. If you were to talk to a Jew and ask who Jesus is, they might quote to you from the 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 Teladoth Jesu, the history of Jesus book, that says that Jesus was a bastard child, 
born of Mary and had some kind of magical or mystical powers and sorcery about him. If you were to talk to a Muslim and ask them who Jesus was, Jesus would, is merely a prophet. He's one of the prophets of many prophets. He is just like Muhammad, but he is not God. There is only one God, and His name is Allah, according to them in one of their tenets of the faith. If you were to talk to a Jehovah's Witness and ask them who Jesus was, Jesus Christ was formerly an archangel, Michael, but became to earth as a simply as a man. And He is a servant of Jehovah. He died a martyr's death, and He never rose again. That's what a Jehovah's Witness would believe about who Jesus was. You go to our neighbors across the street and you ask them, who is Jesus? The Mormons, they they will tell you that Jesus came to earth and he had relations uh, with Mary and all, excuse me, God came to earth and had relations with Mary and out comes Jesus and Godhood is introduced on this earth and you too will ultimately and can ultimately achieve Godhood. You go to postmodernism and you can write out your own expressions of who Jesus is. I spent this past week talking to a guy who believes in quantum physics. Spent about 15, 20 minutes talking to him about his ideas of, uh, of quantum physics and the idea that consciousness is, is God and that if you have the right consciousness, uh, then you can uh, identify with God and God is in the rocks and God is in the trees and that God is everywhere and that I'm God and you can be God. and It's just a matter of consciousness. The different views on who Jesus is and the different views on who God is, they're out there. They're, they're many. Then there's the notional Christians. Beware of the notional Christians because they're everywhere. They're in our churches. They wear crosses around their necks. And they might even have a tattoo. And they may even carry a big black Bible with them every now and then. They're notional Christians because if there's any faith at all that they're going to identify with, they're going to identify with Christianity. Now, they may not know what Christianity is. They may have been baptized as a child or christened or went through some kind of class and passed some kind of test and graduated from some kind of class, but they don't even know what it means to follow Christ. They're notional Christians. And 44% of of those who acknowledge the Christian faith are what Barnett calls notional Christians. Listen, it's not a notion. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's not a philosophy. It's not quantum physics. He's a person. He's an individual. And He's God. What happens is Jesus then turns the tide. He says, okay, who do people say out there that I am? But then He turns and He says, okay, but Peter, disciples, who do you say that I am? And that's really what it comes down to is who is Jesus to you? It doesn't matter necessarily who out there believes and what everybody believes about Jesus. And my question to you today and all of us in this room today, who is Jesus to you. Verse 15, he said, he asked him that question, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied with an unequivocal response. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There is no ambiguity in that at all. Now, there will be people today who will tell you in modern, in modern times that it was the early church, the Roman Catholic church in 300 something years that made Jesus God. Jesus was always a good man. That's a modern day philosophy that's out there. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus Christ was God and Peter knew it and he said it in the first century to his face. We need to understand who Jesus is. And we need to understand it. We need to express it. We need to be excited about it. We need to let Northwest Arkansas, we need to let the world know who Jesus is. How do we do that? 
How do we get the word out about who Jesus is? I want to propose to you there's five ways. Write them down real quickly. Number one, we've got to show Jesus Christ enthusiastically. We do this through worship. Listen, there needs to be enthusiasm in our worship. We get excited about more about the Razorbacks than we do about Jesus. We get excited about soccer and the World Cup than we do about Jesus. If you can stay awake during soccer, I guess. This is what A.W. Tozer said. He says, real worship is, among other things, a feeling about the Lord our God. It is our hearts, and we must be willing to express it. What kind of God is in you? Enthusiasm means God within. What kind of God is in you? If Jesus is in you, let him out. Let him out and express him. Also, we must show God practically. How do we do this? We do this through ministry. We, we go out and we practically touch people's lives. We, we do this in a number of ways through Grace Point. The Hope in WA is one of those ways that we just kind of go out and, and, and kind of that incognito kind of approach without wearing Grace Point Church all across our shirts. We go out and we just bless our community. We want to bring hope to Northwest Arkansas, and we do it in the name of Christ. But the thing is, we can do it in a great kingdom way because we don't have to just be about Grace Point Church. It can be about so many other people, either blessing homes and communities and cleaning up neighborhoods and helping the homeless or, or even going in and helping a family adopt a child. Well, the great things that we can do, uh, uh, practical ways that we can do, we, we've got to show Jesus off practically. We've got to show him off lovingly. This is through community. As we connect with one another, we do this through community. Lovingly. We do this on Sundays. We ask you to own your zone on Sunday. Own your zone means basically wherever you are, whoever's around you, get to know them. Take three minutes and get to know them. Share with them. Get to know their names. Get to know people. We do this in body life groups. That's where the community happens. It's where life on life happens. It's where care and community and conversations and connections happen. We need families that will just say, listen, I need, I will open up my home so that there can be a community of believers that will come together and love and care for one another. It doesn't have to be some great big program. It's just communities, people connecting with one another, showing love towards one another. We do this relevantly through outreach. It's a process, not an event. We need to be sharing our faith with people around us. I'm speaking to the church today. We need to be sharing our faith with people around us, but we need to not see it as an event. We need to see it as a lifelong journey that we are constantly doing and the people that God brings into our lives constantly. Biblically is how we do this. We show Jesus off enthusiastically, practically, lovingly, relevantly, and biblically, and we do this through a transformation walk, a transform morphing walk. How is Christ changing your life? How is the message of this book changing your life? You just spent some time in, in our worship service reading from Scripture. My question to you today, how did God speak to you and how is He going to change your life through that message today? Howard Hendricks did a survey of Dallas businessmen, 2,800 Dallas businessmen, and he asked them, is there any connection to what you hear hearing on Sunday and the way you live on Monday? A sad thing came back that 82% of those who took the survey said that there is no connection between my real world and my faith world. And what I want us to be as a church is that we help people connect Jesus to real life. We do it practically. We do it lovingly. We do it enthusiastically. We do it relevantly. We do it biblically. Helping connect life on life. Jesus Christ must be the foundation on which we build our life. Number two is that Jesus Christ is the foreman through whom Grace Point Church is built. Who's calling the shots? 
Who's the one that's leading the charge? It should be, must be the, the person of Christ. Verse 18, it talks about, uh, uh, it said, well, let's go on to verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then he says in verse 18, And I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is about building churches. He's about building it on people's life who knows who he is. Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus Christ and you're walking with him and he is shaping your life and you're living for him enthusiastically, practically, lovingly, if you are exuding Christ in your life biblically, allowing him to transform you, listen, he wants to build on your life. He wants to use your life. He said, I will build my church. What is he wanting to build in your life? How is he wanting to use your life to help others? I will build my church. Paul said it like this. It's a little bit of a contradiction, it seems like, because Paul said it like this. He says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Now, what Jesus said, Jesus said, I will build my church, but then you come over here and you have Paul talking about that how the foundation and he's building, he's building in this church. So who's building it? Jesus or Paul? Are you or me? The issue is that Jesus is the foreman and we're the builders. Jesus Christ is the one who calls the shots, calls us to go to the nations, calls us to go to our neighbors, calls us to go and invest in people. We're the builders. He uses us, but he is the builder. We're using his plan. You know, for five and a half years, this Grace Point Church did not have a facility. We, we were portable. We lived out of a suitcase, if you will, out of the back of a trailer. We've seen physical changes, emotional changes, logistical changes, structural changes, personnel changes. We have seen change after change after change. But one of the things that hopefully never changes is that we are committed to Jesus Christ and to doing what he said. And he basically gave us two things. He said, I want you to be about the great commandment. I want you to be about the great commission. If you will do those two things, you will fulfill it. Now, what's the great commandment? Because this is, a, this is our purpose statement. We have a great commitment to the great commandment. To build a great, excuse me, a great commitment to the great commandment and great commission to build a great church for our great God. All right, you got it? Say it with me. We have a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. What does it mean to the great commandment? It basically means to love God and love, love people. If we can learn to love God through worship, express God, express our love to God, then we are on, 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 we're on track. We'll learn to love people, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen, you don't know how to love somebody? You love, we love ourselves? Just take that standard and apply it to your neighbor. Apply it to your enemy. Apply it to the person you work with. If we can learn to love like that, then we are living out the great commandment. What does the great com- uh, uh, commission mean? He tells us to go to all the world to make disciples. And listen, it has, it's, a, it's, a, it's a command without, without borders. It's what we're supposed to be about. This is, this is the, the, the foreman is calling us, and he's given us a plan. He says, go to the nations and make disciples of them. And he says, and then baptize them. Bring them into a community of a, of a baptized community of believers. He says, and then teach them everything that I've taught you. 
That's that discipleship. That's that passing it on. That's that transformation. That's where it becomes a part of us. We need to be about what God's about. And God's about these key things. He's our foreman. He's our builder. It was so important that we build the people before we build steeples. That is so important. The last thing I want to share before I'm done today, and that is that Jesus Christ is our, is our foundation and Jesus Christ is our form. And we need to also understand that Jesus Christ is our future. Jesus Christ is the future and where we're going. So many churches, and I just kind of have to just say this, become sacred societies for snubbing sinners. They just kind of become their own little holy huddles. They just kind of become all about themselves. And you know, the statistics say that a church 10, 11, 12 years old stops growing. That's what they say. Church growth people have said that for years. I see that again and again in all the written materials that I read. Churches, after they reach a decade, began to plateau. By the time they reach 15 years of age, they're plateaued and may even begin to decline. Listen, I want to be a part of a church for the future. I don't want to be a part of a dead and dying church. I don't want to be a part of a holy huddle. I want us to be a part of a church that will do things radically for Christ, to reach, be a caring community, not a sacred society, that will welcome broken people and reach out to this world with people who are far from God, and we will help bring them to faith in Christ. That's what I want to be about. And this may take us constantly reworking and constantly revising what we do to make sure we do it right. Because he's given us the authority, he's given us the accessibility, he's given us the accountability that ultimately we will have with him. And you don't look at, look at verse 19 because he says, And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I give you the keys. Keys speak of authority. Keys speak of accessibility. Keys speak of accountability. If I give you my keys today, I'm going to know what you're going to do with them, where you're going to go. What you, you can get into my house, you can get into the office, you can get into the church, you can get into anywhere in this building, you can get into my cars, you can get into any part of my life with keys. And Jesus said, I'm giving you the keys. I'm giving you access. I'm giving you authority. But I'm also going to hold you accountable. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Or whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you, he, basically, He's given it to us. He's equipped us with His Word. He's empowered us with His Spirit. He's enriched us with the church. And one last thing we have to do is we are to enlarge His kingdom. He's given us keys so that we can help this world come to faith in Christ. And we've got to see that as our mission. Otherwise, we become a dead and dying church. Otherwise, we become that Sacred society for snubbing sinners. And we need to be a connecting community that accepts the broken and loves those far from God. Again, before starting Grace Point Church, I was reading a lot. I was reading about, I read a lot now, but I was reading Philip Yancey a lot. I read his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and that really just nailed down that I, we need to call this church Grace Point Church. And another book that I, that, that I read was The Jesus I Never Knew. And, and, and this is what he said in this book. He said, many, far too many, abandon the quest for Jesus entirely, repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. I want that, I want that quote to just kind of rest on your life for a moment. And I want, to, I want you to just ask yourself the question, 
or people coming to faith in Christ through my life. October 14, 1998, Stonebriar Community Church launched in Frisco, Texas with a 60-plus-year-old pastor named Chuck Swindoll. Now, many of you all maybe have heard him on the radio. He's a great speaker, one of the best communicators still alive today. But he said on the opening night when he sat down with that congregation of a couple hundred people, and he sat down with them, and he made a statement. And I've been quoting this statement now for three or four years, ever since I found it. And I want to say it to you today. And I want us to go back nine years ago, and I want us to pretend we're in that living room. We're sitting down together. And I want to say this statement to you. Because if there's anything that we can do with this, with a church that's growing with three gatherings and going to go to a fourth gathering in two locations, and all that, we can really get lost in numbers. We can really get lost in the bigness of it. And I don't want that. Because then what we do is we become consumers of goods and services. And what we need to be about is about being the church where He is our foundation and we are the, the hands and the feet of Jesus because He's the form and building His church through us. And then He's given us the keys and He's given us the authority. He's giving us the access to the kingdom and that we realize that we have a part to play in His kingdom work. This is what Chuck Swindoll said on that opening night. He said, all of us are here tonight because all of us here are interested in being part of a ministry, one that has never existed before, but by the grace of God will outlive all of us. I would hope today that you are here and that you call Grace Point Church your home if you do because you want to be a part of something that's bigger than you and that will outlast you. And that as long as you live and as long as you have breath and as long as God calls you here, you are going to be about being about His business. And it's not about coming for religious goods and services. Marilyn Deneen in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, a number of years back, on April 28th, went to church two days after the school dance. She decided to go to church. She was not normally a churchgoer, but she went because on two days prior to that April 26th day in church, two days prior to that on the 24th, she was at a school dance whenever John Gillette was murdered, a science teacher, and other students were harmed by a gunman of 14 years of age who came in. His nickname was Satan, and he came in and began to mow down people in the school. And this is what she said when she was greeted by the hugs ministry at the front door. She says, I don't usually come. But today I needed something. I needed to be with people who believed in something. You know what I want to say to you today? Whether it's the man who I spoke with this past week about quantum physics. Or it's Marilyn Dean in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania your neighbor across the street. I'm convinced that this world is full of people far from God who want to be with people who believe in something and have something solid to believe in. They have a foundation that's secure and, and firm. They have a builder named Jesus. And they're going to follow Him. And they're going to have a future, a plan, a future, a direction, a hope, that He's given them the keys to what He has built. His kingdom is there. You know, last night I 
I just got back from Australia two days ago, so I'm a little bit in a fog right now because they're 14 hours ahead, and I actually should be asleep right now. Um, but I told Lori, I said, I've got to leave the house just this afternoon, late afternoon. I said, I've got to leave because I'm in a fog, and I've got to figure out where I am. And, and yeah, I'm in northwest Arkansas and all that kind of stuff. But there's, there's, there's a dissatisfaction in my heart. And so I came up here and I prayed. But then I got in the car and I was going to head home. It's like, no, I need to go back and I need to relive a little bit of our church. So I went to the high school, Bentonville High School. I went over to Reagan Elementary School and I just parked in front of the school. I looked like a stalker in front of the school. Nobody's there, though, to stalk. Just hanging out there. Just prayed for a little bit. Remember the days of moving in, moving out. Made our way all the way up to Nita, Nita Road, I believe it was, where Sean and Candace opened up their home for the first couple of Sundays allowed us to be in there. And I just sat out there. Now, they really thought I was a stalker because they were actually home when I was sitting in front of their house. And I just sat there and I relived the moments. And I thought back to, again, 14 people who first gathered. And they wanted to do something radical. They were hungry for something. And they were willing to try something that they had never tried before. But they were willing to go where they had never gone before. Because they knew that this was what God was about. And you know, that's a radical move. Because it's a lot easier. And the thing is, is on that day, 14 people did not stay. Think of one couple in particular that the guy told me a couple of days later. He said, you know what, starting a church, I realize it's not for me. And what he did, he and his wife, they went to their own church. They went to another church, a very established church in the area. And that's fine. But you know what? This church is about about radical people wanting to do something radical for God and letting all everything else be on the table in their life and say, listen, God, I am all for you. You do in me what you will. I will hope this week, I want to call all of us here today to a week of prayer. Because next week we're going to come back and I'm going to talk about a radical move for a radical church. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I know we're going to have our strategy meeting next week. We're going to talk about that next Sunday night. But I think what we have to do this week is we as a church must come together and we must pray. Individually pray in your homes. Pray as a family. God, this is the question which you ask God. God, what radically do you want to do in my life? And what radically do you want to do through my life? What radically do you want to do in my life? And what radically do you want to do through my life? Open yourself up to God. The response to this message is not today, but it is all week long. What we are doing today is I'm just opening up your heart, I pray, a little bit. And with God's help, His Holy Spirit working, you will hear from Him and He will work in you. Father God, we thank You for these moments. In a very scaled-down kind of way, Lord, we conclude our service today. But we don't conclude it flippantly. We conclude it with a humble surrender to You. That, Lord, we might come to You and we might pill away all of the excess, all of the baggage of what we think church ought to be and should be and what we're looking for in a church when we're looking for a church. And that, Father, we would look to You, Jesus. And we would know who You are in our lives.
And Father, then as we know who you are, as Peter declared without any ambiguity, you said you would build your church on him. Lord, what do you want to build on us? How do you want your church to be built through us? What are you wanting to do? How are you wanting to change us, Lord? Morph us, Lord? Because, Father, you've given us your keys. And, Lord, help us not to miss out on the work you want to do in us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for calling us to be a part of your church. Now, Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room that doesn't have a church home, Lord, lead them to a place that will call them up and call them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.